All right. Good morning. You know, it's always great when you're trying to wind down a meeting and it takes half an hour to 45 minutes for everybody to clear the room. It's actually a great sign. Though, you know, a challenge for those that are locking up. But it's worth it. Well, we have a privilege this morning of hosting the God of creation. Are you ready today to host the God of creation? I mean, if if you were invited to meet, used to be the Queen of England, (laughs) the King of England, or some all-star. How many of you like sports stars? You know, you want to get somebody's autograph. I mean, if you, if you were going to get Connor McDavid's autograph or go to a lunch with Connor, go for coffee, would you be there early? Would you be ready? Would you think about it in advance? Let's not take the Lord's presence lightly. Let's not dishonor the privilege that we have to meet with the Most High. Yeah, He is a merciful God, but He's holy. He's a holy God. So, Lord, we say today, we are your servants. We are here to welcome you, to say, come to the earth, O God. With all of our hearts, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And so, Lord, thank you for the privilege of worshiping you and experiencing your presence this morning. And everybody said? All right. Listen to me for a quick second. The effect of the glory of God coming to the earth is that the darkness is passing away. And the darkness takes many forms. And as I was standing here this morning, I felt like the Lord's wrath towards the veils of darkness that prevail in the earth. And he is meaning to pull the curtains back to pull the curtains back. Let me give you an example. When I was 13 years old, I started hanging out on the military base in Cold Lake at what was called the teen center. The teens, I was 13, 14, you know, started learning to be cool and smoke and hang out. And there was a guy there who was like 18 years old and he had long hair. He had a beard. He was, you know, all mature. He's like, oh, this guy's so cool. But what happened is over the next couple of years, the veil started to diminish as I started to mature. And I realized that guy is not cool. He's a total loser. He's an absolute loser. He's got to hang around with 13 and 14-year-olds to be something. And, and as, I, as I got matured, I started to seeing the world more clearly. I started to see that this guy was just pretending. I mean, he, he's reaching for, he, this is his circle. This is his glory field with 13s and 14-year-olds. It doesn't get any better than that in the world. It, it might be more sophisticated. People might have more money. They might have more glitz. They might have more polish. They might be more intelligent. But it's all, it is all a lie. It is all a facade. It is all a cheap, immature insecure desire 
to gain prominence and significance by deluding people, selling an image of yourself. That's all that's out there. And the greatest master in the selling of that image is Satan himself. He has sold the world a bill of goods and he's have, he has people worshiping at his footstool through various social systems and governments and, and outright worship, but everything is, everything is a facade. I tell you what, that, that veil is coming down because glory, glory is increasing in the earth. And, uh, and the hope that we have of seeing our loved ones and young, the next generation come to repentance is penetrating that veil of darkness carrying a glory so that when you step into different social circumstances, the losers appear what they are. They're pretenders, fabricators of an image that fall. When Jesus stepped into the religious circle and the governmental circle of the Judaistic religion, those, those pillars of that system had everybody duped until Jesus began to speak. Suddenly the glory... <laughs> the authority that he actually carried made them look like what they were. Tiny little men trying to prop up a tiny little insignificant kingdom that was passing away. So we declare the glory. The glory of Christ is rising. The glory of Christ is rising. And every veil will be pulled down. Every veil will be removed. Every facade will fall to the ground. Right now there's an atmosphere that is heavy. If you've ever been in the ocean swimming and you're like in 20 feet deep waters, there's that sense of the pressure. It's clear water all around, but the sense of the pressure and the weight of it and the Lord said, as surely as I live, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. His glory is the weight. So don't try to get out right now. Don't try to think too much right now. Don't try to make sense of it right now. Just sense the weight. We respond to you, Lord. You are holy, and your glory will cover the earth. We welcome your glory. We receive the weight of your presence. When we started today, Mark alluded to the queen or the king, and it reminded me of years ago when I was in England with my son. And I remember going over to the Windsor Castle, not knowing what was going on. And as my son and I went closer to the castle, we realized it was closed. When we found out why, we found out it was because the queen was about to come out. So that day I sat at the front of the gate and I watched the queen walk out with her ensemble. People waving flags, people shouting, people cheering the reverence and the honor that was given to this woman. And today it makes me think of how much more deserving our King 
deserves his worship, deserves a celebration, deserves some flags to be waved, deserves for us to raise our voice, to declare that he is holy. He is holy. He is holy. He is the only one. He is holy. He deserves all praise. He is holy. You are holy. Holy, 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 holy. Wow. I love the presence of God because the Word of God, the presence of God, the person of God, the light of God, the, tra- the truth of God, it's the only thing that changes us. So, Father, we say today, we'll not put confidence Lord, in our effort, we're not put confidence in our strength. We're not put confidence in what we know. We say, Lord, you, you alone are the answer. Can everybody say amen? Amen. Now, just before we transition, I want to introduce you to my friend Luke. Luke, come on up. Luke, uh, Luke Niederball is a... young prophetic voice that God is raising up in Canada. He lives in Edmonton now. We've been connecting uh, recently. He's just been invited onto the Canadian Prophetic Council. And so I just uh, wanted to introduce you to him because I, I feel like we're going to be, you're going to see more of him. We're going to have him in as a, a speaker uh, before long. Don't know when, but I asked him if he had a word and a little something to say. Just say hello even if he wants, but bless you. How are you guys doing? You doing well? Man, you guys, I love this church. Wasn't this worship awesome, you guys? Come on. You know, just as we were worshiping, you guys, I felt this. You know, Mark, can I take like three minutes? Okay. Just as we were worshiping, I felt like this weight of God's glory just like drop in the room. Did you guys feel that? There was this weight, and I asked the Lord, I said, what is this? And he said, it's a governmental anointing that I'm releasing in this house right now to establish something in the nation of Canada. And while we were worshiping, I, if you had your eyes open, you were probably wondering why I kept looking around. I was actually watching in the spirit, and I saw these networks actually shooting out from this house across the nation of Canada. And I want to just share something. You know, it was uh, not that long ago, I had a really interesting vision and what I saw was I saw Jesus actually introducing himself to the body of Christ in a way that we hadn't seen in quite some time and if you know anything about church history you know back in like the 1980s Jesus presented himself as the prophet to the church and we received a revelation about the prophetic you know and there's different times when Jesus introduces himself in a different way and wearing a different side of his leadership and in this time in this vision I saw Jesus introducing himself and he was building 
And I said, Jesus, I'm like, how are you introducing yourself right now? He said, I'm introducing myself as the carpenter and I'm building tables right now. Because he said, I'm releasing a revelation of kingdom of kingdom family in the body of Christ. And during worship, when I saw these networks coming out from this house for the nation of Canada, I saw these networks actually built upon tables. And that's why this church, you're in a season right now of going deep in family, going deep in marriage, going deep in getting the heart stuff right. It's so that we can do this really well for the sake of seeing a nation impacted. Do you believe that? But I want to step into this right now because there's something for the nation of Canada right now. And I believe that if we decree a thing in this place and in this atmosphere, it will be established. Do you believe that? Why don't you guys even just stand to your feet right now? Because we need to pray over our nation. When God's moving in this way, man, we need to utilize the anointing. We need to step into it. So right now, why don't you just begin to pray for our nation? Pray for Canada. God, we bless this nation. We thank you for the governmental anointing that's in the room, that's over this church, Jesus. And God, we pray for revival in Canada. We pray for revival in Canada. We pray for homes to be transformed. We pray for cities to be transformed, neighborhoods, provinces, government, Jesus, businesses, the education system. God, we declare revival in this nation. And we say, Canada, be set aflame for the glory of God. God, pour over this nation. Cry out, cry out, cry out, cry out. God, pour over Canada, pour over Canada. Let out a cry, cry out for your nation. God, pour over Canada, pour over Canada. Revival in this nation, God. Pour, 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 pour. I'm just going to piggyback off that. So, Father, we just say that the weight of the glory that is in Spruce Grove, we say to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south, make your fame, make your fame known. Make your fame known in Canada, God. We agree with what the prophet said, revival in Canada. In Canada, I recently saw... I recently saw the carpenter, Jesus, taking very rough sandpaper and roughing us up a little bit. He can be abrasive sometimes, but that abrasiveness is so that the glue sets even better and deeper, amen? So if you're feeling that the Lord is using some abrasiveness in your life, it's so that you can connect, so that you can be glued together in the body, amen? Well, there you go. Uh, the, the title of this morning's message is called Misery Loves Company. Misery loves company, and it's an impulse we understand, but before I get into it, I want to give you two important principles. Like, this is the problem with the way my mind thinks. Everything is connected to everything, you know, in my mind. So when it comes to, it's very hard to say where one truth stops and the, the other one starts. You know, some, the teachers are very good at sort of delineating lists, and, you know, for me, it's all related. So I, I have a hard time st- you know, not saying everything. But I want to say two things quickly. God has a perfect program for your transformation. Do you know that? I mean, you you probably run across the odd, you know, hey, do you want to get fit thing on Facebook? You know, like there are tens of thousands of them. Everybody promising the same thing. If you follow our program, 
you will lose X number of pounds within six weeks. You know, you will have abs. I got news for you. You have abs right now. They just can't be seen. So nobody's creating abs. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the, the program, the program, some of these programs work. You know, probably any program you do regularly would probably bring some improvements to you. I, I, it's the problem is regularly, you know, right? But let me tell you, God has the means to make you authoritative and free agents of the kingdom of heaven. God has the ability to do that. And uh, furthermore, it's not contingent upon the obedience of anybody in your life aside from you. That's, that's the beauty. That's the freedom. That's the promise of this thing. And, and of course, you know, the, the, the warning. You can't blame anybody else when it doesn't happen. That's, that, that's beautiful. You can't blame anybody else. So you can see maybe where we're going. Misery loves company. Uh, but anyway, you can't blame anybody else. But the second part of this is, is that uh, the challenges that God has for us are the solutions for our transformation. That the, the things you're walking through right now, he said with every temptation, he's provided a way of escape. But the way of escape is not just uh, escaping from the, you know, the, the fallout of bad decisions, but the nature of this thing that God does is that when you exercise that way of escape, something inside you changes. You know, they say, they, they say, the, the scientists, you know, that, that new neuron pathways, you know, in your brain are created when you start to do things differently, when you make different decisions, that new paths are created in your mind. And so that's why we talk about things like m- muscle memory and all the rest of that. But when, when, you, when, you, when you forego the opportunity to sin, when you choose not to gossip, when you turn against unforgiveness and forgive. Do they, those things not only provide a momentary escape from a bad destination, they change who you are. And that's as, as much as important as missing the consequences of the bad decisions. Consequences of bad decisions is just God's way of saying, I told you so. <laughs> God's the biggest I told you so in the world. Hallelujah. So uh, as we get into this, I'm going to touch on two important things. But here's the first one. I'm going to touch on the themes of righteousness and holiness. But I can't explain righteousness today. But let me say it this way, simply put. Righteousness is something that is given to you by faith. Righteousness is given. Okay? You get righteousness by faith. Faith in God's righteousness that's provided through Jesus gives the ability to have an, have an encounter with God, have a relationship with God. And, uh, and that's, that's automatic when you believe. It's immediate. Holiness is very different. Holiness and righteousness are two different things. So I'm going to share some scriptures about holiness because the journey you're what's so hard is not being righteous. What's so hard is being holy. Okay? And they're very, 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 very different things. Righteousness is free. Holiness will cost you everything. Let me say that again. Righteousness is free. The gift of faith is free. Holiness will cost you everything. All right? So we're going to get into that in a second. But uh, I want to tell you a story. I've been thinking about this for some time. 
I have had a chance, like many of us, to observe lives. First and foremost, I've seen my own, right? We're witnesses to our own journey. But as I I look at other people's lives, I am looking for answers. I'm always looking for answers because when I see people in trouble, people in a certain condition, whether it's uh, uh, pride or jealousy or soulish uh, covenants that they made or or addictions, sexual addictions, I I really want to know, how do we get these people free? Lord, how does, how does this particular person, where do they go wrong? What decisions do they make? What, what, I see the, the, where they're at now. How did they get there? Have you ever wondered that? Because if you don't know how people got to some destination, you know, when people fall into prostitution, when a young girl falls into prostitution and ends up doing porno films and this and that, that's probably not what she imagined she would be when she was five years old. So the destination we land up at is not always the one we imagined we would be at. Yet a series of decisions get us there. And when, it, when you start looking at people's spiritual lives, you know, I, you, you could probably think back of a Sunday school teacher. Maybe, you, maybe, you had a, maybe you're here in this church. You had a Sunday school teacher. This guy was a really great Christian in your mind until you realized he wasn't. <laughs> and then you find out he's not even serving God anymore. It's not teaching Sunday school. It's not even going to church. Not even a Christian. You think, how did that happen? Because he inspired me so much with his life at those early stages. When I look at people that have come in and out of my life, I see lots of people that have excelled, lots of people that have overcome, lots of people that have gone somewhere with their spiritual life. But then I've seen others that, that have done less well. But uh, we'll leave it at that. But there was, there's one particular person I've met in my life I tried to help along the way, and they hate me with a passion. Absolutely despise me. I have had the worst, the most horrific encounters with this person. You, I mean, it's mental. They have mental illness now. I mean, their their life is a wreck. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Addiction to drugs, mental illness, and you want to talk about rejecting Christ. This person had an anointing on their life. They had, a, they had a great destination that I was trying to help them with, and maybe I didn't do anything right, but the beautiful thing is you can't blame me because there's a way of escape. I don't care who's imperfect in your life. There, there's, there, people can help you, but they can't really hurt you. They can't unless you let them. And so, uh, but I was trying to think, okay, how did the person, how did this person get to where they were? And a few years ago, the Lord, the Lord uh, started showing me some things around this theme of misery loves company. Misery loves company. And it, it sort of came to a light one day. I was talking to Ben, and he was talking about, and I can't, I can't remember the exact words he used, but uh, we were just talking about People not doing well in their life. And, uh, and he, he starts talking about this a season in his life where God began to show something about himself. That's what God's doing. He's showing you. He's trying to bring you to the mirror that is Jesus. Right? It says in, in 1 John, it says, as in James, he says, when we look into the glory of God as in a mirror. So that when you look into a mirror, what do you see? You get to see who you really are. 
but you get to see it in the light of Jesus. And so all the defects, all the incongruencies of he who he is versus who you are are illuminated when you look at him. It's not just him saying, hey, you're perfect, I love you. It's saying, you're per- I love you, but there's a few things I'd like to change. Right? And so here's what happens, though, and Ben sort of isolated this. He said, I remember when the Lord started to show me my hypocrisy, my duplicity, my, my wrong motives. What quickly happened is I immediately saw that in everybody else. As soon as, and it's true, I mean, I mean, when you see something in yourself you didn't see before, you start to see it everywhere. But the reason God showed you was not to make you the judge of all. <laughs> the reason God showed you was to change you. But we have this impulse in us because misery loves company. We, we don't like to stand alone condemned. We just don't, we don't like that. So the truth is the pressure, when God is revealing something that he wants to change in you, uh, the, the, the tendency is to do a very superficial acknowledgement of that thing and then turn around and look at everybody else and say, hey, now I have the authority to fix all of you. And what happens, because that thing was only repaired superficially, you, the, the tendency to blame others or to color others with your thing is that misery loves company thing because because. Being in the presence of a holy God who's needling you, who's looking at you, the hardest thing to do is not say, what about him? I mean, so much so that it says that when he returns to the earth, men will call for the rocks to fall on him to hide from the face of him. That's just the way it is. The, the, The power, the glory, the intensity of when he comes at you, your tendency to want to hide, your tendency to want to get away from the brilliant, penetrating, unapproachable light is immense. It's, it's greater than you could ever possibly conceive. And I could tell you about the one story I had, but I, it'd take too much time. When I encountered the glory of the Lord on that level, I, I literally ran from the room. It got too much for me. I, I literally ran from the room. So I understand why men are going to call for the rocks to fall on them. And I also understand the tendency to say, what about him? What about them? The deflection that's involved in, in this thing is not our friend. That's right. All right? The good thing for Ben and I'll, I, is, that, is that, you know, he saw that. He saw this tendency to start painting others with the thing that God told him that was wrong with him. And, uh, and I, I, I assume he dealt with it correctly. You can talk to him later. Yeah, ask Jenna. Ask Jenna, yeah. It's the woman you gave me. <laughs> uh, but, but this is the tendency, is that when you start to see superficiality in, in yourself, and all of a sudden God shows you that, you know, when you're worshiping me, uh, and he, he drills down to your heart. And he starts to show, do you know how much of the catalyst for you worshiping me is the need to look good to others? Uh, and it's like, it's, it's a hard thing to, for God to show. But what you immediately do is you begin to assume everybody else is that way. 
And so anybody who lifts their hands, anybody who's passionately worshiping God must be doing it from the same hypocritical basis that I am. That must be the truth. That's, that's the message. God is making me a messenger of his judgment and truth. I'm here to fix you all. Because misery loves company. We don't want to stand alone. Let me tell you, when you go before the Lord and we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, right? Two judgment seats. One is the great throne judgment. The other one is the judgment seat of Christ. All believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It talks about it in 1 Corinthians. We're all going to stand and he said, everything will be made clear. Right? Everything will be made clear, he says. Everything. You want to maybe grab some of that now while you can. Right? Everything will be made clear. And in that moment, you, you stand in a solitary fashion before a holy God. And the, the beautiful thing about that, and it is beautiful, God will not accept your excuses. You realize in that moment that that penetrating light makes all excuses void. You see the power you have. You see the options you have. You see the outs that you had and you realize, no, the reason you made that decision is because you chose to harden your heart. That's, that's, that's going to be tough. I don't envy anybody who stands before the Lord unprepared. So, I'm spending my whole life trying to be prepared. And you know what? I feel the onus on me to help you be prepared as well. I'm not making decisions for what God has yet to uncover in your life or do inside of you, but I want to tell you, you want to be ready. You want to be ready so that you can have boldness in the day of his visitation, John says. But I was... I was trying to figure out, particularly with this, this fellow in my life, like, why does he hate me so? Why is he so mad at the church? Why is he so bitter towards all of us? And it's because when God came to him in mercy, when God came to him with the light of his truth and said, this is the hypocrisy that's in your heart, he received it. I, I don't even know if he received it at all but he certainly has deflected it to everybody else. Now, all you people are hypocrites because I was, and therefore you are. Well, what's the rationale behind that? If I am a hypocrite, then you are a hypocrite. Why? Because at the root of that life is I'm, I'm better than you all. <laughs> Think of the idolatry of that. If I can't imagine another person who's not guilty of the thing that I'm guilty of, it's because I'm better than you all. And if I'm guilty, therefore you're guilty. And so the assignment of guilt to everybody else is predicated on the fact that I'm the very best version of Christian that can be. And if I was a hypocrite, then you can see the impulse to hate the church, to judge the church. This is important. This is really important. Now, I'm going to read a, a passage, and I'm going to clarify a couple of things. Um, in Hebrews chapter 12, love Hebrews. This is where we see, this in Matthew 5, 8 is where we see the difference between righteousness and holiness. What does Matthew 5, 8? It says, the pure in heart will see God. It's very important, the pure in heart. The pure in heart. What, is the, what does it take to have your heart purified? takes the penetrating light, the scrubbing 
of God, the refiner's fire. That's what purifies the heart. But more than that, in Hebrews, there's all this scripture about chastening. Chastening, don't you love that? I tell you, when the Lord began to chasten me, I have to say, I didn't like it one bit. But he would not let up. In fact, part of the, part of the prayer I prayed as a young Christian, my mom told me to pray this prayer, and I'm thankful that I did, but it's the worst prayer you could pray. She said, pray like this, Mark. Pray, Lord, do everything you need to do in me and don't relent from my squawking. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, when you're in the throes of love of God, you know, in those initial honeymoon moments when you taste the goodness of God for the first time and you're thinking, oh, I want more of this. Do you really? Yes, I want more of that. How much do you want? I want all of it. Good, I was hoping you'd say that. (laughs) I want everything that you are. Hallelujah. But this is what he says in Hebrews, and I'll read read through some of these passages. He said, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Scourges, scourges. Look that word up. It's more than a spanking. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Okay, so major reason to embrace chastening right there. I want to be dealt with as a son. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, here's the the line, that we may be partakers of his holiness. The chastening of God enables you to be a partaker of his holiness. It has to do with the transformation of your heart, the seat of the image of who you are. This is your true identity. What you really are in your heart is changed by chastening. Not just by believing that Jesus died on the cross. That's what gives you access to the penetrating light. Then the penetrating light does its work. Hello? Otherwise, the penetrating light would kill you, destroy you, eviscerate you, wipe you from the face of the earth. Now, how enjoyable is this chastening that I require? It says, now no chastening seems to be present. I mean, pleasant, present, it's present. To be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Oh, Interesting. The fruit of righteousness is not righteousness. The fruit of righteousness comes through the chastening, which produces holiness, which is the fruit of righteousness. Anyway, some teacher will teach on that, no doubt, someday, and do a better job of explaining. But here's where I really wanted to go about that. But you need to see the context. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that you may not be dislocated but rather be healed. 
What is he saying? He's saying, listen, I don't want you to, to be separated from my body, from my people. And it, but here, if you, don't, if you don't deal with my chastening correctly, you will become separated from my body. You will become a, like a dislocated joint because you, 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 will, you will turn in hostility against the body. That's the message. I, I don't want that for anybody. So what does it say next? This is, this is amazing scripture. I love the Bible. Oh, hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The pure in heart will see God. Holiness is the key to seeing the Lord. Here's the again. It's it's a promise and a warning. A promise and a warning. A promise and a warning. If you want the promise, you got to accept the warning, the caveats, the conditions of the promise. Looking, uh, let me restart. Verse fourteen: Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this that many become defiled. This is what I have seen. What I have seen is a constant uh, and regular outcome of people's lives that when God comes to discipline you, that your response is because you can't handle the discipline, and you might think, you know, well, uh, I know God's pure. It's the people. It's these people that you gave me that are the problem. But the Lord says in another place, he said, listen, if you can't love the people, then you don't really love me. That these things are a reflection of one another. And you may pretend that you're, you know, you're hating the church because the church is filled with hypocrites, but I love the church and they're my children. And if you loved me, you would love the church. So this, this circle of you know, escapism and deflection that people engage in because the church is imperfect is the indulgence of a lie. It's because we don't want to deal with the fact that God's heavy hand of discipline is coming at us. And so, yeah, yeah I'm guilty, but what about him? And what about them? The, the church did this to me. They were mean. Mean, I say. Yeah, but you said you wanted to be the greatest. You said you wanted everything that I had, so I'm giving you an opportunity to get everything that I have, and it's through this. Through what? Through becoming the servant of all. And again, I I, I say this, I don't know how many times, but when I was in the throes of self-pity, when I was being dejected because the church was imperfect and they weren't listening to me and God said I was going to be a prophet and all these things and nobody's nobody's inviting me to their church to speak, well, they just, because they they don't like white men, because they don't like short people, because I'm not married to the right family. It's because of my accent, because I am French. No, it's because you don't want to stand alone before a holy God. You want company, because misery loves company. That's the real problem. So, uh, let's think about this for a second. Has this ever happened in the Bible? Before, where somebody deflected... Yeah, a, a couple of times. 
Oh, Lord. Now listen, let me, let me read this one passage before I go into that. Revelation six fifteen to 17. It says, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every man, free man, hid themselves in the caves in the, in the, in the, in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us in the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? You know who is able to stand? The ones that have already stood. The the ones that have already allowed the penetrating light of his presence to isolate them, to silo them before his throne of judgment. If, see, this, this journey is not about just the little bit of joy you had that first day you met Jesus. Oh, this is going to be great. That's, that was the impulse that said, Lord, I want more because they assumed it's all just more of this. Like if a little bit of love is just makes me feel grand, what's a lot of love going to be? Discipline. <laughs> I just thought it was going to be more, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, and snuggles and him picking me up and saying, you can do no wrong. Those were the days. <laughs> you know, when you got kids, you look at them, oh, this perfect child. Except when they don't sleep. <laughs> right? But you know, it's like, it's like mothers. I, I'm always amazed to watch a mother and a, and a newborn or a young child. Like the, the, the affection, the perfect love they give. But it doesn't continue on that that trajectory. Eventually it leads to the terrible twos and the threes and the fours and we haven't even got to the teenage years yet. Like eventually discipline becomes the order of business to bring them into destiny. But we start with you can do no wrong. Let me clean up your messes. Every one of them. Oh you're hungry? Oh you're hungry. Again you want more? Oh you're too tired? Let me rock you to sleep. Let me make everything easy and palatable for you. You are so precious. Sometimes marriage is like that, right? The dating first you know, the first couple of months when you're dating, it's like you can do no wrong. That too might change. <laughs> But the impulse, the impulse, the impulse to want to deflect is, is natural, even if it's fallen. Adam and Eve are standing in the garden. We know the story. God comes to Adam and Eve and, and says to Adam, Adam, what are you doing? Well, you're just hanging out in the garden. Uh, why did you hide? Well, I was afraid because uh, I, was, I was naked. Oh, who told you you were naked? Uh Uh-oh. The jig's up. And as soon as he begins, you know, that that rebuke, that chastening starts to come down, that heaviness, like, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat? It's the woman! (laughs) So God turns to the woman, starts talking to the woman. It's the serpent! (laughs) Serpent's like... I got nobody. <laughs> but, but here's what happens in this scenario, and realize this, realize this, that 
even though there was a relationship between the transgressions, between Adam and Eve, and Eve and the serpent, and even though for a second, Adam probably felt like, man, when God looked at Eve, I thought, whoo man, I'm, uh, that was a close one. I almost got the full enchilada there. But he came back to Adam. And he came back to Eve. And each one of them received a siloed, an individual, a personal assessment of their transgression and a, a beautifully, what do they call it when they make a house? A custom punishment. Like a custom house. I like a custom house. How about a custom punishment? So to, to Adam, he gave him a, he said, because you did this, this is what's happening to you. Woman, because you did this, this is what's happening to you. Serpent, because you did this, this is what's happening to you. Let me tell you, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. That there's no way we can deflect that the nature of God's judgment, God's comprehensive knowledge of everything, down to not only what we did, but everything we thought and felt before we did it, while we were doing it, and after we did it, there is nothing hid from his eyes, and nobody's going to get away with anything. Why is that important? Because that's what enables you to get siloed. That's what enables you to stand in a solitary fashion before God and say, God, I'm going to let you change me. Because you realize that whoever, not only is it inconsequential what everybody else did, but nobody's going to get away with anything. Nobody's going to get away with, why Why can you turn the other cheek? Because nobody's going to get away with anything. Why, why can you put up with injustice in your life? Because nobody's going to get away with anything. And the just judge of all is not looking at what injustice is happening, but how are you dealing with it? Are you going to take the way of escape that he's provided, which changes you? Or are you going to hide behind what I call the collective guilt? See, it's, it's, it's easy to hide behind collective guilt. Collective guilt for humankind is a kind of foggy, you know, virtual darkness where we feel concealed, where we feel anonymous, where we feel that, you know, it's the same, it's kind of things you, you do online that you wouldn't do in person, right? This is the kind of things you do in your car when you're racing down. You know, it's amazing how little weak women can get so aggressive when they have a car, you know, and, and, and weak men will give people the, you know, some sign language as they're going by who are twice their size and twice their strength. Why? Because I have distance. I have an anonymity. I, I have, there's, 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 you know, room for me to escape. Same reason why, you know, years ago when that first blackout happened in the mid-70s, I think it was, in New York City, all of a sudden the whole city went crazy. People started looting and breaking glass and, and destroying property that would never, ever, ever do that. Why? Because the security and the anonymity of hiding between collective guilt gave them a sense that there was no culpability to be had here. Everybody's doing it. So when 
the weight of responsibility and the weight of accountability comes on us from a holy God. Our response is everybody's doing it. Well, what about them? What about her? What about my wife? What about the job? What about, you know, it's so not fair. God's like, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. I gave everything you need for life and godliness is already provided. Every way of escape is already provided. Furthermore, I'm testing you. I'm not testing everybody else. I'm testing you. You are in a relationship with me. Now, the apostle Peter had a similar thing. Uh, He tried to skirt a word. So he's getting a word from Jesus. It's not a great word. He's telling him how he's going to (laughs) die. So one day... One day, men are going to come and they're going to put you in bonds and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. Oh, this is really bad news, Jesus. You know what he does? You know what he says right there? What about him? (laughs) I mean, literally, literally. That's the first thing you did. What about him? And who's he pointing to? John. John the Beloved. (laughs) It's like, like, that doesn't sound fair. It's like, don't you know who I am? I'm Peter. I'm going to be the great apostle. And Peter, it says John 21, 20 to 21. So then Peter, turning around, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? <laughs> In verse 22, Jesus says to Peter what he'd like to say to all of us when we're pointing, pointing at our Eve or our serpent or, or our circumstances, or the church, or that leadership team, or that person that hurt me, or that person that was inequitable, or that, that one that slapped me on the cheek, or that one that took away those things from me. Listen, everything that happens in your life is an opportunity for you to rise above. Unless you say, what about them? I will justify holding on to this, doing the wrong thing, because they also are guilty. Okay, all right. Everybody's going to get their punishment. Is that really what you want? I'm giving you a chance to get out of punishment. But you're choosing to join them in their guilt. Hiding behind collective guilt is joining others in their guilt. Jesus said to him, and if, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? What is that to you? Why is this important? Because there are so many tests along this way. None of them are accidental. They're all designed to purify you, to give you more access to more of God, more of his presence. Everything is calculated specifically right down to the person you marry. But Lord, I don't like the one you gave me. Let me tell you, the next one will probably be worse. Better stick with this one. (laughs) Take it from Chris. (laughs) A couple weeks ago, I can't remember when it was, I talked about the test of... um, The word left me. When I was talking about fathers, uh, the disillusionment, the disappointment, the cynicism, the test of cynicism. Uh, All right, this here 
is one of the basic tests that you have to pass. If you want to become a productive member of the body of Christ, you have to resist the impulse to deflect and blame and hide behind corporate guilt. Because the only outcome of hiding behind corporate guilt, well, they, they did this, they just See, God is actually looking for people to be in charge of the body, people who can lead the body. And to lead the body, you have to become the servant of the body. You have to be willing to absorb the defects of others. Well, I don't want to, I don't want, this person's very difficult. Yes, I need somebody to walk with them because they are difficult. Can you do that? You know, fathers and mothers in a community, when we have a community of church like this, you're not all easy to get along with. Not like me. <laughs> no, but I mean, seriously, not, not everybody can create community, but we have people who love others, and so they invite you to their houses, and they make food for you, and they welcome you, and they hug you, and they love you, and you think it's because you're so great. It's not because we're so great, it's because they love. And God is looking for people that love others because it's love that absorbs the defects. Absorbs the, what's wrong with us. We create, we have community because we have buffers. And this one doesn't get along with that one. But so in between us, we have these layers of wonderful people that are willing to put up with your incompleteness right now and love you. I remember the first time this guy invited me to his church and I remember thinking, oh, he must be because he recognizes how I've got a great, great prophetic destiny in my life. And he did, but it was because he knew I needed help. He knew I needed help. And I'm so thankful today for men like that, and women like that in my life that put up with me in my incompleteness because they saw what I could be. See, God is looking for candidates on whom he can place authority to lead his body, and they're not going to be the people that are easily angered by, by not getting their just due. We have an option. And uh, I, I don't suspect that anybody here is going to fail this test. I'm not believing that anybody here is presently faltering in this journey. I, I think this is a place where you get faced with your motives very quickly. And you have to decide what you're going to be about. And if you orient around the defects of others to excuse yourself, you don't last very long. But God is looking to raise you up, looking to give you authority. Furthermore, looking to give you freedom. 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 We have an option. One path ends in bitterness towards the body. One path ends up being uh, with us being agnostics, atheists, bitter souls who consider all the church hypocrites and everybody else false. I don't want that for anybody. 
God has way, made a way of escape. Some of you ones that have been around a long time, you're, you're, you've survived this far because you realize I, I got nobody to blame. I've got nobody to blame. That honesty, when God is taking that sword and he's pinning you to the wall, says, Lord, I trust you. You are the just judge of all. And my life is not in the hand of evildoers or principalities and powers. My hand, my life is in the hands of a God who loves me. And a God who is preparing the conditions for my freedom. And if he's granted me the opportunity to face this hurdle, it's because in getting past it, I will be changed. The person who turns the other cheek is not saying that the one who slapped me is guiltless. He's saying, no, that my freedom is not in holding you accountable. My freedom is holding me accountable that that urge to hit you back is what I'm after. That's the urge to want to hit you back. The, the tendency to not like you anymore because you're defective. That's not out there. That's in here. When I turn the other cheek, that's what I'm changing. When I overcome, when I forgive, when I stick with people that are broken, it's not, it's not excusing them. It's changing me. This is the divine program, and it works. I don't care how much darkness you have to lose, that if you choose this path and you walk this path faithfully, you will overcome. And to, to those who overcome, God will give authority in the nations. God is desperately looking for people on whom he can give authority so that you can stand in, in, a, in, a, uh, in a lunchroom and speak the truth and have it penetrate the lives of others because you're walking in glory. God is wanting to share this uncalculable power to influence. Or we can do like most and hide behind the collective guilt of everyone and just be one of the bunch. An army is being raised up. We are on our way. God is recruiting Majors, generals, colonels, sergeants. He said, listen, I am, I'm equipping you with eternal power, the power of the age to come. If you will have it. We just have to overcome the impulse to deflect. The impulse that says, I love company in my misery. I cannot stand alone guilty. I must find somebody to share the blame. Right there. That thing right there. Husbands, husbands, when you are overwhelmed with self-pity because you're not getting what you want and you, the, the tendency is to reciprocate because you're angry and you're upset you didn't get what you want. I'm telling you, you're deciding right there whether you even want to have a marriage. Whether you, whether you die to yourself, whether you forgive, whether you release your mate in that, in that moment, is de- you're deciding right then whether you're going for a divorce or not. Not five years down the road, whenever the, when there's no hope, 
Right then, right there in that moment, when you feel that resentment, what are you going to do with that? When you're here in this body and you think, I should be more important to these people. And you're feeling neglected and you're feeling alone. You're feeling, well, how come nobody loves me? How come everybody else is getting invited to special things and I'm not? What you do in that moment with that feeling will determine whether you will be here three, four months down the road. People are leaving families. They're leaving marriages. They're leaving, they're leaving workplaces because they don't have the ability to overcome. Freedom is not getting your just due from others, <laughs> but standing in a solitary fashion before the just judge of all who can give you influence, power, authority, promotion beyond your imagination. So, Father, let's stand together. I'm not asking anybody to sign up to anything today. But the Lord is. The Lord is asking, are you in for the long haul? Are you in for the long haul? I can change you. But you must stand before me. That scripture in Revelation says, who can stand in that day? There is a people who have boldness when he returns. There is a people who who will have boldness in his presence when he shows up in the sky. Yet there's another people who have spent their whole life running from the light of truth who will not be able to abide even a twinkle of that glory. And they'll call for rocks to hide on them because that's what they've been doing their whole life, hiding, hiding. Not because they're unsaved, This is the trajectory of all mankind. Are you willing to stand alone in the light before an almighty God? But if you do, you will be able to stand. I want to say this for myself. I want to say this for you. I will, I will stand. Can you say that? I will stand in your presence. I will stand in your light. I will not deflect. I will not blame. I will own what's coming out of my heart. I will own what's happening in my feelings right now. I'm not going to blame somebody else. You made me mad. You made me jealous. You hurt me. Doesn't matter. I will overcome. I will overcome. God's creating excellent ones, warriors, who are going to overcome the the works of darkness and the powers of evil in this earth. And we can be one. So that's what we're doing. We're just saying, yes. I want to stand in your presence. No more hiding, no more lying to myself. I want to stand in your presence.